Hello everyone, this is Robert Reyes, it's the Promenade Podcast, and we are coming to you from beautiful, lovely Long Beach, California at the Long Beach Convention Center for the first con for me of 2019. It's the Long Beach Comic Expo, so it's Saturday, it's a little after 11 a.m., and folks are still strolling in. And we're seeing all genres all over the place. We're seeing steampunk, we're seeing anime, we're seeing comic books, we're seeing Star Trek, Star Wars. So we're just going to be walking about, and you know the routine, just interviewing people about their cosplay, about their booth. Can you tell me about about your booth? Or? Sure, yeah. Okay, can you introduce yourself? Yes, hi, I'm uh, Ruben Arroyo. I'm one of the writers for Team Hero Chick. This is David Arroyo. He's the artist and creator, also writer. Uh, so Team uh, Super Cliche Hero Chick is our independent comic. And it's about Alice Adams. She's a uh, college student who gets injected with Serum Z. So she gets your basic strength and vulnerability flight. Uh, she shortly or briefly uh, considers becoming uh, the queen of the world. But instead, she becomes, decides to become a superhero. So it's a comic, obviously. Uh, we try to keep it funny, but also good action. Uh, kind of a throwback with a modern sensibility. So do you, um, well, it says above Hero Chick, the super cliche. So you, you, you satirize, I guess, for a better well, we, word? We try to hit the, uh, you know, the aliens, uh, giant monsters, uh, zombies. You know, the kind of things that are staples of comics. Okay. Yeah. It, start, it started as satirizing, but then um, as the story took over, it kind of became its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in this universe you create, is there an equivalent of like the Justice League or the Avengers type there, thing? There are other heroes that exist in this universe. Uh, we're at issue seven right now, so we've started to introduce some of those. I think it was issue four? Uh, yeah. Issue four. Uh, so we'll start to start to integrate them into their everyday life together. So there, there's no Justice League yet. But there is the possibility always of teaming them up, yes. Okay, and if someone wanted um, to get your comic, where would they be able to get that? They can go to teamherochick.com and it has links to uh, purchase for either uh, download or for, uh, for through the mail as well. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you very much. Okay, so we're here at the Gaslight Gathering booth. So, sir, if you can introduce yourself and tell us what you folks are doing here today. Uh, yeah, we're uh, Gaslight Gathering. We're San Diego's longest-running steampunk convention. Uh, we'll be having our ninth year of steampunk in San Diego, April 12th to the 14th at the Handleria Hotel. Uh, you can uh, pre-register uh, for uh, uh, Maker Press and Artist Passes right now. Uh, tickets are on sale at gaslightgathering.org. And uh, our theme this year is Athenium. So we're going to be uh, talking about conservation of the arts, and uh, a lot of STEAM uh, education, and uh, yeah. Okay, and for those listening, can you just um, describe what steampunk is for those who may not know or familiar with the genre? Yeah, uh, steampunk uh, has its roots base in uh, Vernian uh, science fiction, so uh, much in uh, Victorian fantasy. Uh, it uh, really became prevalent again in the past like two decades and got a little bit of like uh, an upgrade to it. So uh, it has now this uh, this very uh, like modern but anachronistic movement of trying to um, run on the premise of never having left a world of steam behind and then advancing that technology with, uh, with the knowledge of the 21st century. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wait, ma'am? 
Ma'am, can I interview you really quick about your cosplay? Okay, so if you can explain your cosplay. I am Warrior Tinkerbell. I have killed Peter Pan because he's, he's a tool. He, he was working for Captain Hook this whole time? Uh, he kind of cheated on me with Wendy, so I kind of had to fix that. Well, in all fairness, you were about, what, like three inches tall? Yeah, size doesn't matter. <laughs> or does it? Well, you be the judge of that. Okay, how long did it take you to get the outfit together? A long time, like a month and a half. What was the hardest part? The wings. They're annoying. Yeah, they break really easily, so I cut a bunch of holes in them and called it art. So. Okay, so we can introduce yourself and tell us about your booth. Yes, sir. Hi, I am Chad Jordan. I am the lieutenant on the USS Bruno, the chief engineer. Uh, we are a Star Trek cosplaying group. We are based in different parts of California. For example, we have the USS Artesia, which is based in the Orange County Cerritos area. The Bruno is based in the Claremont and surrounding areas. The USS Stephen Hawking is based in Long Beach. And the Oracle is based in North Orange County. Um, basically, we do different events. Uh, we do a Relay for Life. We also do Phasing Out for Cancer. Uh, and we just do different community events and anybody that feels free to join, can join us. Uh, we have Facebook pages and websites. Okay, and what is the website if someone wanted to join or look for more information? Uh, www.ussartesia.com, and that's our website. They could find out the different ship, the officers on the ship, different events. Uh, there's stuff for kids and different stuff for uh, parents and everything like that. We could find out about events and stuff that they want to do. Okay, thank yeah. you very much. Hi, you're Hi, how are you doing? Hi, I heard you're the beast. Is that correct? I'm one of the beasts, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few of us. So I was, uh, let me ask you, so when we're doing the trivia contest, are we allowed to phone a friend? No. Really? No. No phone a friend. No phone a friend. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, we try and, if we see that you're having a, a struggle with it, we won't beat you up too bad. Okay. <laughs> so how's your Star Trek knowledge? I don't know the registry number for the Reliant. Guess what? You do. I don't. Okay. I don't. <laughs> I can look that up. No. Oh, no way. But, but no phones. But no, that would be... See, that's that's the good thing about this. It's like uh, we're the beast and we have a lot of knowledge about Star Trek. We don't know everything, right? And and that's that we all uh, enjoy each other's fandom and how, how everybody really gets involved with it. But you get different perspectives from it, so... So I guess let me ask this question because we're having this issue currently within the Star Trek fandom with Discovery. What are your thoughts on Discovery? My personal thoughts, I think yes. Discovery is really good. Okay. I enjoy it. It had a rough start. There was a lot, if you look at a lot of the Star Trek series, they all have a rough start in season one. They all have a problem with their direction. The, example, the exception would be the original series that hit the ground running. Yeah. Uh, so Discovery had a rough start. Uh, artistically, it's a huge departure. Um, and there was a lot of concerns about how they were telling the story. Um, then they did some changes into season one, got good, got really good. Season two, I think, is a return to form. They have a lot of storytelling that is more classic Star Trek looking at taking a topical issue, putting it out there, and then backing away and saying, we've put it out there, what do you think? And that's an amazing thing. Uh, the second episode of season two was one of the best episodes of Star Trek. Period. A lot of people have said that. Yeah. It, it's, it's so well done because it does a good exploration of, of, 
uh, religion versus science, and it was left on the table. They don't tell you what is right and wrong, and uh, and that's good. They shouldn't tell us what is right and wrong because that gets very soapboxy. And Star Trek tends to fail when it goes soapboxy and tries to tell you how you should think, but does amazing when they show us a, a, a situation and lets you come up with the answer, and then they, they kind of help you think it out. With, uh, it's amazing stuff. And I think Discovery, we're in for more of that. Granted, they have a little more adventure. They're, they're doing the business thing where they're setting up uh, at least one other show. They're setting up Section 31 right now, which is great. Uh, and they're hinting at the Picard series a little bit. That's fine. That's, uh, that's great. I, I'm glad they're hinting at it, but Discovery is still doing their own thing. And okay. I think they're going to be very successful. Well, also, they did say they may end after three seasons. Yeah, that's, but okay. that's very true. No, that was the Picard series. They said it will all end three seasons. Okay. Three seasons. That, was, that was what they're saying. Now, how true that is, I hope it's not. I hope it goes on for seven years like TNG and DS9. But um, three seasons, tell their short story, and move on to another Star Trek. And then another one. So we're getting constant different perspectives. Okay. And you can tell in the background that they're doing a lot of reusing of sets. Uh, spoiler alert. But the Section 31 ship that we see in Discovery is a redress of the Shinjo set. Yeah. So they, they're at least trying to be economical about how they're doing things. It's a redress, repaint, drop the, the, the set floor down, and then bam, you have well, a whole other ship. They're probably going to use that for the Section 31 series as well. I would, I would assume so. They're, they're really setting up the characters for that. Um, I, uh, I'm not sure when that's supposed to launch, but I think it... If the rumor's correct, it should be launching this year, but I don't. I honestly don't know if that's well, their true. 2020. 2020? That'd be fine. Okay. That would be fine. Uh, uh, all same thing with Picard. Okay. I guess that they supposedly spoiled the name of the start of the show. Well, I, I've heard that, but I haven't read the article. I saw the interview. Yeah. It, and at first I was like, well, calling it Picard is just kind of because everyone's been calling it Picard. But then yeah. she was like, no, it's going to be called Star Trek Picard. And we're like, oh. All right. I wanted it to be called Star Trek Next Generation Season 8, but uh, uh, whatever. That's fine. Uh, also, what I would like to see, I don't think that they're, they've mentioned, is because Pike is doing so great, then uh, with, you know, they've, they've got Rebecca Romaine, they've got uh, the new Spock, they got all this stuff going on. I would love to see a series called Star Trek The First Generation. And do it about a five-year show with Pike and Spock and Number One and Boyd and all these other guys, and then show Pike leave the ship. And maybe like, uh, I, I don't think they should have interactions with Kirk because that's that's pushing it too far. But it would be interesting to say, you know, hey, we just went off this, helped this rescue mission, and reference certain things that have been mentioned in the original series. I think it'd be great. I would love to see that. Hopefully they can get that because I would love to see that as well because we have yet to see Doctor. Is it Boyd or Boyce? Boyd. Thought it was Boyce. That was Boyd. Okay. Pretty sure it's Boyd. Okay. So um, yeah, so uh, we haven't seen him. There's a lot of characters that went relatively no named in um, uh, uh, the the pilot, but they were definite characters. They had different things they were doing, different personalities. I would like to see that fleshed out a little bit. You know, they mention in Discovery. That chief engineer of theirs that, that no one knows, no one's ever loved a ship as much as the engineers yeah. love the ship. Is that a reference for Scotty? No, they, they named know. that engineer. 
No, the engineer of, of the, <laughs> the Enterprise. Enterprise. I thought they named that engineer. I don't think so. Yeah, I thought they did because Pike said, okay, we'll have him take out all the holographic stuff. They talked about it, have, uh, uh, have the engineer, I think he said. I yeah. don't think he said the name. Well, I thought number one said the name. I have to rewatch it. But, okay. you know, that's a good thing about Star Trek is, for me anyway, lots of rewatch value. Because okay. you know, the funny thing is, is, is you might be 100% right. And it's just so much to take in. When you first watch an episode of Star Trek, uh, a lot of times you're, you're not looking at the details and, and breaking every little piece down. You're looking at the body of work. And then once it's done, then you go, okay, let me try, wait a second. Did that fit the continuity? Let me go look, and then they can go back and you watch, you break it down the episode. But first you watch it for, for entertainment. Um, entertainment, I think, is one, one thing about continuity versus entertainment. And I have to get this through some people's heads, right? Um, kind of just food for thought. What, uh, what is the process of a starship going self-destruct? What happens? So we're told, well, the, the, uh, the, the technobabble is that the magnetic seals between the matter and antimatter drop, the antimatter is dumped into the matter, the ship explodes. Okay, where does that happen? In engineering, right? Okay, so now we have established if a ship is going to self-destruct, it's going to blow up from engineering. Great. So how come in Star Trek Three, the ship blew up from the bridge, and then the fusil, the, the 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 secondary hull, which houses engineering, burns up in the atmosphere? Why didn't it just explode? So now the fans will go through and tell you, well, the ship knows that it's in orbit of a planet. The giant matter-antimatter reaction will cook off part of the atmosphere, and I'll go with all that, and I'll say fine, within a continuity kind of setting, that's fine. But what's the real reason? The real reason is that we as an audience has watched these people on this set. Granted, it's a new set every time, whatever. But since the 1960s, and here it is the 1980s, so 20 years, we've been watching these characters in this area. This is home. And they do that run off the ship, the Klingons board, and it explodes from the bridge. We watch their home explode. Then Nimoy, being a wise director, pans out and watches the, the ship explode from the top and bottom, watches the numbers and letters cook off the hull, removing Enterprise from the situation. And then half the saucer explodes, Burns up an answer. It's just they spend a long time watching that breakdown of the ship. So when the ship starts to fall into orbit, and you get that panning shot of the characters looking up at the Enterprise burning up, we feel something. We get this feeling of this is their home, and they had to sacrifice their home to save a friend. And and and, and that's why. And uh, I get really emotional thinking about the line too. I, where, where uh, Kirk says, my God, Bones, what have I done? You've turned death into a fighting champ. Yeah, you know it, you yeah. know it. And you know when you, when you hear that, it's like, wow, this is, these are characters. These are people that are doing the best they can in this situation. And you, you really get involved with it. So did it matter that the Enterprise didn't blow up from engineering? Not at all. Not at all. And as a, a fan group, we're going to justify it? Fine. That's, that's wonderful. But remember that it's a piece of art first, right? right. And then um, that's why 
a lot of discovery, people give it a lot of flack. I'm like, well, first of all, look at it as a piece of art. Not everyone likes that piece of art. That's fine. You don't have to. But can you find something in it that you like? Oh, well, the Klingons look like space orcs. They do. I would personally prefer not. But it was that interpretation. It was that, that team's interpretation of that piece of art. So can you find something in there that's, that's appreciative? Yeah, I think you can. I think you can. So, anyway. <laughs> Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. He's the god of he's the god of hammer. I am. Okay, we can introduce yourself and let us know what your booth is. So the booth is Power First Legion, uh, Southern California Garrison. My name is Robert. Okay. Yes. So you're all Star Wars fans, correct? Yeah. We specifically work with the bad guy costumes like Darth Vader, Kylo Ren, those kind of characters, stormtroopers. Um, we're a worldwide nonprofit organization. We do a lot of charity work. Uh, visiting children's hospitals, things like that, raising money for Make-A-Wish. How many of you got to march in the Rose Parade about 12 years ago when... Oh my goodness, that's a very good question. I honestly don't know. I wasn't a member at the time. Um, do we know how many 501st marched in the Rose Parade back in... I was not. In, I was in the Legion, but I didn't get a chance to march. I want to say it was around 20 to 30. It's not the biggest parade we've ever done, but at the time it certainly was, especially with George Lucas leading the Rose Parade. Because for the 40th anniversary of Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie, which I still refer to it as Star Wars. It's Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Ewok Adventure, the four movies of the original trilogy. So, ma'am... Who are you dressed up as? I'm Kira from the new movie Solo, A Star Wars Story. Oh, okay. okay. I've, I've seen parts of it. You should see it. It's a really good That's movie. what everyone tells me. So do you folks make the costumes? or a lot, of us, uh, a lot of us make it or we source out to other members the different materials. A lot of the buckets are made, uh, we call them buckets, but the helmets are made by Anovos. We have some members who actually recreate them and sell them to other members so that they can become... A member as well, so it just depends on what costume you're looking at specifically. And it's not just like building them, the vendors themselves, we also have build parties as well. A lot of support towards the people trying to join Follow First Legion. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, I have found both Waldo and Carmen San Diego. Okay, we're heading back up the escalator. Okay, we're now in the lobby area of the convention center. Now they're having actual multiple events today. They're having Long Beach Comic Expo, and they're also having a gymnastics competition here. It's Stan Lee. So for those of you keeping score at home, I'm three in one with cellular coverage in convention halls. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Oregon State Convention Center. We'll have that out in September. Um, just introduce yourself and tell me what you folks are doing in, in, in this room today. Just audio. audio only. Hey, I'm Russell from Party Extreme Rentals. We're here at the Long Beach Comic Expo doing our Nerf battles. We are having the Mad Nerf War, and we're really excited. We got the biggest, baddest Nerf gun shooting eight rounds a second. We got 14 of them, so we're hoping to get a big crowd here and shoot 112 rounds every second. Wow. Should be a good time once the people start rolling in here. Wow.
Does it get in tents? Yeah, we actually have quite a few tents out here that the players can hide in. No, no, I mean in tents when the people are playing. Oh, yeah, that kind of intense. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the people are shooting. The rounds fire at 100 feet per second. So there's a lot of people diving on the ground, trying not to get shot by their brother or sister. It's a really good time. Now, it also says you're doing laser tag as well. Is that it, Are those different guns or the same gun? That's a different gun, yeah. So there's, a, there's actually a laser tag system made by Nerf. It's awesome. So we've got a bunch of those. We're doing laser tag and Nerf out to your day. Okay, thank you very much. All right, so we're going to make our way back down into the vendor's room. I found you. Can you let everybody know who you're cosplaying as today? Carmen Sandiego. Which incarnation of Carmen Sandiego are you doing? The original. So from the video from game? the original video game back in the day, back in my childhood. So... <laughs> So have a lot of people come up and recognize you? Yes, I've heard all day, I found her! And then a bunch of people taking pictures. And I had to take a picture with uh, Waldo as of well. Because Waldo's around and you know everybody's trying to find us. So. Yes. <laughs> well, there are bonus points if we find you and Waldo. Me and Waldo at the same time, you get yes. bonus points, yeah. Yes. So. Thank you, enjoy your convention. Well, we've come across a couple of actual bona fide movie stars. We have... R2-D2 and BB-8. Can you tell us anything about episode 9 BB-8? Really? And they're able to do that on film now? I did not know that. R2, can you tell us anything about episode 9? Really? I did not know that. So you were okay doing that nude scene? So who's controlling who? I'm controlling BB-8. Okay, and how long did it take to build them? Mine's BB-8's about like two and a half years. Wow. Mine's about almost four. Wow. Well, my understanding with BB-8 is the actual, the, the film one, it's magnets in that one. Is that correct? Uh, they had a bunch of different versions. They had some that were just wiggled, some that just spun, some that rolled. Okay. Uh, it was you know, used more as like a puppet in the movie. All right, so we've left the vendor's room. We're back up in the lobby area. We went to see one of the panels. It was, um, it was only one person on the panel. His name was Alexander Wynn. He was the creator, he is the creator, excuse me, of the Terra Genesis mobile game. And he was talking about how science fiction writers, people who, pr who produce comics or films or television shows or stories or novels aren't really focusing anything on the planets within our solar system and that was his panel he was going through some of the planets so now we're back in the main hall things have picked up it's almost three o'clock i've seen quite a few families today i know that because all of the the small children are going to the people doing disney cosplay excuse me spider-man noir since you see everything in black and white, how were you able to solve the Rubik's Cube? Well, I can't. It's like 50 shades of gray. I mean, I don't even know. <laughs> Can you help me? Well, you're, it's already solved. What? I didn't know it was a puzzle. Yeah. I thought this was the Cosmic Cube. Wouldn't the Cosmic Cube be at least 60 years 
from where you are in terms of the timeline since you're in the 1930s? Yeah, well, you never know when something's going to be important. <laughs> I mean, I have to burn matches down my fingers just to feel anything. What's the depression? All of that bathtub gin will do that to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a heavy, heavy prohibition going on, so, you know... Have to have to keep your eye out and make sure everybody stays and all the all the gangsters stay in line and you know. I'm gonna ask you a question out of character. What was the hardest part of making the the outfit? Uh, the eyes. So there's sunglasses that the you there goggles that you had to poke holes through. No, I made uh, took perforated vinyl. Okay. And it's adhesive, and then you have to make it fit, and I have to redo it. Oh. <laughs> well, how long did that take to make? Uh, not very long, but it's maybe. Okay. But uh, this is version four. Oh wow! <laughs> so do a lot of people recognize you yeah. now because of Into the Spider Verse? Yes, a lot. Even little kids. That's the test. Okay. If the little kids can recognize you, then um, you know you've done a good job. Well, I saw Into the Spider Verse. I now want to see a Spider-Man War movie. Yeah, we've been in the comics for a long time, so I researched to. Build, do my builds and suits, and I've done different versions. Um, I always go back to the source material, and I even know the artist who, who created them and the story. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. So it's good to do your research and then find all the components. You know, I researched it for my first one. I researched for months. This is, like I said, I have several different versions of this, yes. depending on the cartoon version, the comic version, the new movie version, which is this. Yes. Um, you know, so I'm always tweaking it and improving it. Thank you very much. Thank you. There's no smoking in here, guys. Do we have anything to say, Silent Bob? Because where we need it is at the stairs. We have two people at the stairs. I mean, that's your answer to everything. So for those of you wondering what was going on, there was two guys cosplaying Jay and Silent Bob, and they had fake cigarettes. Because for those of you who are not aware, it is illegal to smoke indoors in California. Right, so we're back in the vendor's room area. Excuse me, Miss Umbridge, how are you enjoying the convention so oh, far? I'm enjoying it a lot. Very fun. So have a lot of people come up to you and recognized you? Uh, yeah, I think they have. <laughs> what was the hardest part of making the outfit? Just collecting all the parts because I didn't actually make anything. Uh, just all things from thrift stores and okay. eBay. So just kind of finding the right things that I thought would work. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So also happening as part of Long Beach Comic Expo is Space Expo from the Columbia Memorial Space Center from the beautiful city of Downey, California. They gave us the carpenters. Sure, my name is Rick O'Connor. I work at the Columbia Memorial Space Center in Downey and we're the hosts of Space Expo. Um, so Long Beach Comic Con approached us a couple years ago about wanting to do space and science programming here. Uh, so that's what we do. We're kind of bringing the real space and science and intermingling it with comic books and sci-fi. Long history of real science and comics and sci-fi, you know, Star Trek was influenced a lot by some of the actual science that was happening and a lot of the actual scientists were inspired by watching Star Trek. So there's a lot of intermingling of that and so we're, that's what we're trying to show and showcase some of the real science that's happening right now in space. Okay. And have you gotten a big crowd here so far today? Oh yeah, we have. I would say most people here in the convention have probably walked through this space at some point, whether it's 
checking out the actual life-size R2-D2s that are driving around, talking with the engineers at Virgin Orbit or Planetary Society, or even hanging out with the uh, LA County Library, Long Beach Public Libraries, doing activities with, for kids. Okay. And if there's a, does your group have a website? Yeah, so um, you can find the, the Space Center at ColumbiaSpaceScience.org. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. I have Dooley Mary Poppins. Yes, we're both Mary Poppins. We're Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to see that at a con. There were two women both doing various versions of Mary Poppins from the original 1964 film. Ma'am, can I interview you really quick? Yeah. Because I think I know who you are. And I think it has to do with the 40th anniversary of the film that came out 79, because last week was the 40th anniversary. So which of the gangs from the film The Warriors are you cosplaying today? I'm Cobb from The Furies, the baseball Furies. Main dude. Did they ever explain? I haven't seen the movie. I know I should see the movie. Shame on you. <laughs> they ever explain why some of the gangs have makeup on? You know, I'm pretty sure they have. I personally don't know. I've been getting stopped left and right, and they, I've been having people talk fandom about to me. And I'm like, I mean, I'm younger. I didn't see other panels or other TV interviews with these guys. I don't know, honestly. Okay. And maybe it's just like a menacing thing. I mean, in all comic books and superhero things, like you have to be somehow disguised and masked so people don't know who you are. Okay. And these are gang members in New York and the Bronx and everything. And just it was like, the 70s. Yeah, it was the 70s, so it was crime, gangster stuff happening left and right, so you had to be masquerade somehow. Have a lot of people come up and recognized you? Surprisingly, yes. But it's usually the older generation. Nobody, nobody in these cosplay get up. Nobody that's like... Just here for the for the fun or for the pictures. Older generation from the 70s. Well, I saw a guy earlier who was cosplaying one of the warriors. Oh, yeah. I, we, he found me. We ran into each other and we pointed at each other. We were like, hey! And then we had to stop and take a picture. So. Okay. Thank you. Can you tell me about the family graves? Yes, the family graves is like a... Um, the Monsters meets Fantastic Four. Kind of like a monster superhero team. Um, it's actually produced by Comic Experience, which is a college for people that want to okay. do comics. So artists, um, writers, all of that. And it was started by Andy Schmidt, who does um, or has done uh, editing for Marvel and IDW. So he does a lot of like really cool things like so, that. So are all the majority of these comics from people from that college? There are some of them. Um, this one in particular, for sure. Uh, Grief, I know for a fact, is, and I think, I think Viking Queen was also. Um, but this one right here, Achilles Inc., was written by Andy Schmidt himself. Okay. So that's kind of a different take on the superhero genre, where superheroes are extorting the people that they save. And Achilles Inc. is an organization that is looking for their weaknesses to get them to stop doing so. Oh, that's a self-contained story as well. Yeah. Thank you. So you guys doing a lot of business today? Oh, definitely. It's so been can, very busy. Can you just introduce yourself and let everybody know what booth we're at? This is the uh, FVF Comics, Brad Sloan, proprietor. 
and uh, this has been a very good day as far as sales go and uh, kept us busy most of the time. And you have a lot of vintage of Golden Age comics? Well, we have some Golden Age, mainly Silver Age is our genre, but we do have Golden Age and uh, a few new specific, you know, important titles, you know, also. Anything that's trending, we generally try to cover it. So do you see people, a, a market for people buying Silver Age stuff because of all of the Marvel and DC movies oh, and television shows? Definitely, definitely, because there's definitely an interest in books now because as an investment, a high-quality book probably does better than the stocks or the commodities as far as an investment because the prices will rise rapidly just in one year long. Thank you very much. You're Good, can I interview you folks really quick? Yeah, can the dummy be in it? Sure. Oh, thank you, sir. All right. So, you're doing a very obscure cosplay, because as far as I know, this character has only been in the animated series. Uh, Batman the Animated Series. Just recently, he was put in the Titans series, if you've seen oh, that. Okay. So we're pretty excited about that. Aren't we, Dummy? Yes, we're very excited. Do I have a lot of people come up and recognize, recognize you, sir? Oh, yeah, you know, I'm a legend. Even though some people call me Slappy, or they call me Puppet Man or Puppet Master. Then I just go ahead and slap them and I show them who I really am. <laughs> sir, be nice. Why? <laughs> Thank you. All right, thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Oh, yeah, sure. All right, so it's about 4.30 now. I just left the comedy cosplay panel, and it, it sounds, it is exactly what it sounds like. You had some comics dressed up in cosplay doing some five-minute sets. Had someone as Peter Parker, I'm sorry, not Peter, as Spider-Man, as Han Solo, as Hermione Granger, as Mega Man as Adam West Batman, someone in a T-Rex suit, the Terminator, and Jason. Can you tell me about White Lily? Sure. Okay, if you can introduce yourself, sir. Oh, okay. Preston Poulter. Uh, White, White Lily is the story of the two deadliest female fighter pilots in world history. This is a true story? Yeah, yeah. I mean, your, your viewers can't see it, but here on the back of the comic book, I put the picture of the actual historical figure, because I get asked that so often. White Lily was her aviator call sign. She was the deadliest female fighter pilot who ever lived. She was also the very first woman to ever shoot down an enemy plane. And I tell her life story in five issues. And this was World War II? World War II, correct, yes. Was she British or American? Soviet. She was Soviet? Yes. Wow. Yeah, the, uh, for the West, like the US, the UK, all that, we didn't use women in combat roles during the Second World War. But the Soviets ran out of men for their, their critical functions, so that's why you have all these stories of, you know, female heroism out of the Soviet Union, Soviet snipers, Soviet bombers, Soviet fighter pilots, all, all being women, because the Germans came in and killed so many of them that they had to resort to. I honestly had not heard that. Heard that. I, I get that a lot. That's why that's why I put the picture over here on the back, so people are like, oh, wow. I mean, I, again, I know your, your listeners can't see this, but... Yes, but people are in such a state of disbelief that this woman existed. I, I feel like part of my journey is to try and prove it to them first so that they can buy my comic book. Why did you get interested in telling her story? For me, like, uh, all right, just the details of her story are that uh, she lost her father during the purge, 
which I, this is the print, I know your people can't see it, but I give this print away, which shows her as a child and her father being hung there in the back. And for me, it's a story of, she would later go on to serve the government that took her father away from her, and that, that spoke to me, the idea of finding purpose despite suffering loss and grief. And that became more of her story because later on she fell in love with a, one of the other flyers she was with and they were engaged to be married and then he was killed and this sets her off on this, this mission of revenge but she was always able to find purpose and not give way to depression and that, that spoke to me because that's, that's a struggle in my life and so in telling her story I kind of work in some of my own some of my own battles with you know finding purpose in life. Now, with all stories based on real life, how much embellishment is there? Well, it's tough with Soviet history because it's pretty sketchy anyway. But uh, the the things that that I point out, you know, that she was engaged to this guy who died. That really happened. She in in the first comic book, I show her going up to get trained and she beats her dogfight instructor the first time. That really happened. Uh, she was the first woman to shoot down an enemy plane. That really happened. She was the deadliest female fighter pilot who ever lived. That really happened. Uh, and she was shot down a number of times. So the, the things that I'm showing, that happened. I had to fill in the details of what her personal life was like in between all that. And so I, I kind of create this love triangle between her the person who she becomes engaged to, Alexei, and her other wingman, Katya. So there's this kind of unrequited lesbian love triangle between those three characters. And then when Alexei dies, now we're just left with Katya and Lilia. Lilia's bent on revenge and Katya is trying to kind of pull her back to sanity. So it creates this great dramatic story that goes into our act three of our tale. And yeah, that that is most likely embellishment on my part. Well, how, I mean, historically it may have happened, I don't know, but... <laughs> how was how is it issue one received? It's, it's tough selling World War II comics right now. Uh, you know, a lot of people, particularly in LA, they come here looking for IPs they already know. Uh, but the people who do walk by that I have sold to in the past, like there was one guy, he's like, oh, you're here. And, you know, like, he's like, I've been looking, I, I hear that a lot from people who have buy issue one, is they're like, I've been looking for issue two. I'm like, well, here it is right here on my table. So uh, it, the people get really hooked in with the story because it, to them, like, World War II and whatnot, it's kind of a take it or leave it. But once they start looking at what she did and the way the story's presented, and it, it speaks to them in part because I designed it because it, it speaks to me. And so that's the aspects of her story that I'm showing. And I think people get really engrossed in it. Now, if someone were, were interested in purchasing White Lily, where could they do that? Um, I also sell it on eBay. You can go to eBay and just look for White Lily comic, and it'll be right there. My main distribution mechanism is through Kickstarter. Okay. So you can go to my website, pocketjackscomics.com, and sign up for my email list, and you'll get a free PDF of White Lily issue one. So you, you can read through the first issue, see what you think of it. It'll be delivered right to your uh, email inbox. And that is yeah, probably my main mechanism. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and all those mechanisms. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, if you can just introduce yourself and what the um, comic is. Sure. 
Uh, my name is David Pepos. I'm the writer of Spencer and Locke over at Action Lab Entertainment. And uh, my book is called Spencer and Locke. It's uh, the easy elevator pitch is what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City. It's a story about a hard-boiled cop and his partner who happens to be his childhood imaginary friend. It's a little true detective. It's a little fight club. It's 100% a love letter to classic Bill Watterson and Frank Miller. And uh, our sequel, Spencer and Locke 2, is in previews now. So if it's part Fight Club, first rule of Fight Club. Oh, I didn't mean to talk about it. <laughs> if Fight Club had a, if Fight Club had a, a had a publicist, it would be me. Uh, yeah, I, uh, our series is it's very much uh, you know it's about uh, childhood trauma and PTSD and sort of the, the lengths the mind will go to protect itself from harm. And for our sequel, we're uh, taking the fables approach. Uh, no comic strip is safe. I like in the, I like to think about it as hardboiled Calvin and Hobbes versus hardcore Beetle Bailey. Uh, Roach Riley is going to be uh, kind of our Heath Ledger Joker for our series, and uh, he's going to be a really fun villain. So uh, readers can uh, pick up on the new series starting in April, uh, but they can call their local comic shop now with the code FEB191309, FEB191310, and FEB191311 to pre-order their copies of issue one now. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, you have a great day. Thank you, same to you. Is that supposed to be Alf? Yeah, it's Alf, yeah. Okay. We have not one but two elf references on our, uh, our variant covers. Yeah, we get a little. Okay, you're gonna need to explain what uh, aberrant is. That the name of the comic? Yeah, yeah it's called aberrant. Okay, you can tell us um, the the family friendly or PG-13 version of the book, because I see the mature reader label on there. Yeah, it's a mature reader uh, label, but um, uh, yeah, aberrant. Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't get any more risque than your average like R-rated uh, uh, action movie. Um, aberrant is sort of an homage to uh, '70s paranoid spy thrillers. Um, uh, you know, Marathon Man. Um, that sort of thing. Uh, it, most recently, it, it's sort of akin to uh, maybe the Born Identity. A lot of people describe it as 24 superheroes. Um, uh, yeah, sort of paranoid spy thriller. Um, basically, uh, our main character is David. He is a, uh, a U.S. Army Special Operations Commander. No, uh, that be him in this? That's, yeah, that, that's him right there on okay. the cover of issue three. Okay. Um, uh, Aberrant takes place in a world where... Um, Superheroes exist, but the book is about what everyone else is doing. It's how the military, the government necessarily have to react to, you know, people with superpowers running around. And so here you have this, uh, you know, average Joe uh, special operations commander who loses his uh, his entire unit to a superhuman attack. Um, he then goes AWOL from the army, declares a very brutal one-man war on the, the former superhero and eccentric billionaire that he thinks is responsible. Uh, Pretty soon he realizes that said superhero is a patsy, that basically his uh, unit was killed as part of like this vast, twisted government military conspiracy. And so the rest of the book, it's a 10-issue arc, is about kind of peeling back the layers of the conspiracy. And then in the end, the person you like least, uh, you know, the least likely person is behind the whole thing. So fun ride. Uh, it was just um, uh, worth saying that it was just an uh, option for television by Tony Kranz, who actually uh, 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 did 24. Um, and Felicity and uh, is doing Woo Assassins for Netflix, so we're developing it for uh, Netflix now as a TV series. Um, uh, uh, the, the first arc uh, ends this month. Um, second arc begins in March. Okay. Yeah. Now, is it safe to say that there, have, have people compared it to Watchmen in terms of tone and... Yeah, I, you know, I would say, you know, Watchmen is, uh, I mean, Watchmen is the Citizen Kane of comics, so um, 
I mean, I, I think it's you know I think it's the greatest thing that's ever appeared in a floppy. Uh, Watchmen's incredible, so it can't help but influence me. Um, yeah, I would say like there's there, there's a bit of Watchmen. Um, it's almost like my uh, my my second title that's going to come out uh, via Action Lab uh, Comics in in June is called Banjax, which is like a superhero deconstruction. That's more along uh, that's more Watchmen inspired than anything. But yeah, there's 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 definitely a touch of Watchmen. We well, yeah, one of everything. the variant covers you have is this. The hero with Richard Nixon. Yeah, well, that's a um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I forgot actually that Nixon was still president in Watchmen. That's that's a really good reference. Um, yeah, that is just um, uh, so so. Aberrant is a very serious book. Um, uh, you know, if you can't tell from the description that I, I described, but um, Action Lab makes us do these variant covers. Um, I like to have fun with the variant covers and blow off a little steam, so you can see all sorts of uh, kind of crazy ones. We have a like a uh, the issue one variant is a, a Billy D. Williams Colt 45 ad send up. Um, we have our uh, our Coming to America McDowell's uh, that, yeah. that, was, that was our, our San Diego Comic Con variant. Uh, the one you were just talking about with Richard Nixon is actually a um, there's a character in Aberrant that sings a lot, and so uh, we did a send up of the, the um, Elvis picture. of the Elvis picture. So that's Elvis meeting Nixon, and okay. so so we have uh, we have replaced Elvis with one of our characters, uh, still dressed as Elvis. Okay. Um, and then uh, and then we have uh, I, I I believe it was what sort of caught your attention yes. at the table is yeah, that we yeah. have not one but two uh, Elf references on our uh, <laughs> on our our covers. Uh, the issue three variant has uh, sort of our main villain uh, eating his lunch out of a, uh, an Elf lunchbox, and then um, uh, issue four, which gets a little bit crazy. Uh, uh, this guy's passed out and is sort of convinced that an Elf doll is talking to him. So, um, but you know. Not necessarily reflective of the tone of the book, but um, uh, you know, with any of these things, you're 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 trying to give people a reason to kind of, you know, again, like you walk by, you saw Elf, you stop. Yeah. So 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 we've done our job. Yes. <laughs> now people were interested in getting Aberrant or a Banjax. Banjax. Where where would they be able to get that? Uh, you know, uh, at at all fine comic uh, retailers. Go down to your your local comic shop. Tell them you want to uh, put Aberrant on your pull list or Banjax on your pull list. Um, uh, Aberrant is out now. You can get issues one through uh, one through four. Um, issue five will drop uh, first week of, of March. Um, uh, the next couple issues are going to drop in, in in late March. Uh, March is very much the the, the month of Aberrant. Uh, Banjax will go into previews, meaning like uh, you can order it from your comic shop uh, starting in May. It drops in June. Um, and uh, so any local comic shop, uh, you will be able to order the Aberrant uh, Volume 1 uh, trade paperback, which collects issues 1 through 5, uh, via Amazon in March. Okay. Um, and then uh, Comixology, you can download via Amazon and Comixology and right. any of the issues. So. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, well, if you can in introduce yourself and then uh, tell us about the book. Uh, hi, my name is Brian Waziak. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good, so if you can tell me about the yes. Altered Boys. Yes, Altered Boys is a series of books. Uh, it's about a uh, vigilante group of former Alter Boys who um, have been in the past abused. Okay. And they have a vigilante group where they go out and they their mission is to purge all religions of the evil. Whether it's Christianity, uh, Muslim, Jewish religion, uh, Catholics. So what they do is they go out and they purge all of the bad out of the religion to let the good shine through. It's okay. kind of the higher calling that they have. Okay. 
So and then it was a series of, of eight books that we've uh, started. We have our first book out, which is Altaboy's The Book of Billy. And then we go all the way through to the end book, which is The Book of Michael, who's our main protagonist here. We just have the first one out, and we just self-published. How was it? How was it received so far? So far, it's been actually very, very well received. We've gotten to about four or five amazing reviews where people have loved a the originality to it. Um, they've also loved, for lack of a better term, because it's a little bit hyper, uh, hyper inflated with the realism. But the realism in it definitely reflects on how the story is being told straight through it. And and we've gotten some very, very positive reviews, even with the nature of some of the story that's in it. Yeah. Now, if someone wanted to purchase Altered Boys, where would they buy, be able to buy it? Well, well, we have digitally, we're on Comicology. And also, if they wanted to get a hard copy of the book, we could go to our website. We're doing, we're self-published, and we're, gonna, we're selling our book self-published at www.alteredboysgraphicnovel.com. Okay, thank you very much. The only, I guess, for lack of a better term, quote-unquote, celebrity that's doing signings in the vendor's room is Herbert Jefferson Jr. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell, he played Boomer in the original version of Battlestar Galactica back in the 70s. All right, so things have slowed down considerably here in the vendor's room, and folks are starting to pack up for the day. So on behalf of a cast of Thousands Day, this is Robert Reyes for the Promenade Podcast, and this has been our coverage of Long Beach Comic Expo 2019. We'll see you next time.